It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. In the program this week, we speak to two All Blacks one week out from the start of the Rugby World's Cup and pick their brains ahead of their opening match against Tonga. We talk to New Zealand's Olympic, Commonwealth and World Champion shot putter Valerie Adams after winning her third world title. And we catch up with the outgoing New Zealand women's football coach John Herdman as he steps down after a successful reign. The All Blacks lost the Tri-Nations title to Australia, but all will be forgotten if they win the World Cup on home soil, and with just one week until the start of the tournament, the All Blacks build-up is in top gear. Having not won the William Webb Alice Trophy since the inaugural World Cup in 1987, the All Blacks will be desperate for success and will want to send a stern warning to their rivals in their opening game against Tonga at Eden Park next Friday night. Lock Sam Whitelock is playing in his first World Cup and spoke to Richard Wayne about the mood in the All Blacks camp with just seven days until kick-off. Most of the squad are, you know, and have two feelings going around at the moment. Obviously, we're really uh, disappointed we didn't win the Tri Nations, but in saying that, we've got some key learnings out of those uh, those games, and we're just really excited now about the World Cup. And you know, the guys and the whole country are just excited, and it's it's going to be awesome. Everyone knows it's so close now, and it's going to be awesome. I guess you've got to put that Tri Nations game behind you, and I won't dwell on it, but. Uh... Like a bad first half for you guys, but how much was that Australia playing really well and how much was it you guys, you know, making a few mistakes? I think it was a bit of both. I, I feel like we had the right plan, but we just didn't go out there and, uh, you know, put it into, into action. And Australia are a really classy side and you give them a 20-odd point head start, they're, they're going to be really hard to come back and take them out like that. So, you know, we've learned from that mistake and we just know that we've got to, you know, our desire has to be there and... You know, that's something that we're going to have to focus on the next couple of weeks, and we're dealing with those things. Does history actually mean anything? Obviously, um, you know, we, we haven't won the World Cup since the inaugural event, but no Tri-Nations winners ever won the World Cup in the same year. So, I mean, does, it, does that kind of thing mean anything to you, the fact that the history with the World Cup with us and the history with Tri-Nations? I, I don't think it plays a, a massive part in it. Um, you know, as, as a team and as a country, we'd, we want to win every everything, and... Um, you know, not not winning it. You know, sure we're disappointed, but um, you know it's a nice stat to know in the back of your head. Tonga, just a word on the opening game. You know, the Pacific Island Nations when they get their A team together, they're actually pretty uh, pretty decent sides. Are you expecting a tough challenge from Tonga in the opening game? Yeah, you know, all the Pacific Nations sides, uh, you know, are really strong when they get their best 22 together, and Tonga will be no different. You know, they're going to come, they're going to be physical, and they're going to be uh, really excited just as we are, and it's just going to show. You know how much it means to, to both countries, and no doubt it's going to be physical and just the excitement with the whole country and the first game of the World Cup. It's going to be a pretty awesome event to be a part of. Do you think it's a little unfortunate that the Pacific Island nations struggle to get their best sides together? You know, for anything except the World Cup. Yeah, I think it is at times. Um, obviously, you know they got such a you know high skill level, and they're um, you know really exciting teams to watch uh, when they do play. So. You know, it's not the greatest with them not being able to access all their players, but you know, it just makes it that much more special when they do 
you know, get their best side out there and you know, makes them that much more dangerous. Are you picking, uh, who are you picking out of the Island Nations to make a real dent? I'm, I'm going to see Samoa, Fiji and maybe South Africa, Samoa. I reckon Samoa could make a real dent. Yeah, I think they showed that uh, you know, earlier on in the year with the way they played against Aussie. They've always been a good side and they always will be. And the way they played, you know, they were pretty smart about the way they went about it. And, you know, it was a pretty awesome game to, to watch, you know, even if you didn't support either, either of the sides. And no doubt there'll be a lot more of that rugby to come. Can you get up to speed, you know, up to the sort of top form you need in a competition like this, just in pool play, playing, you know, generally, I mean, France will be a real challenge. And I'm sure, I'm sure Tonga, and I'm sure there'll be challenges. But, you know, not compared to perhaps the Australians, the South Africans, maybe the English or the Argentinians, those sides, you know. Can you get up to speed in pool play? Yeah, I think you really can. Uh, you know, if you go in there with your, your best side and you really work on your combinations, regardless of who you're playing and where you're playing, I think that really uh, builds your combinations. You know, with those combinations, then you get to know the guys really well and spend more time with them. And I think the tighter we are as, as a team and as, as friends off the field will really benefit us on it. Finally, um, number six, you played a few, few minutes number six on the weekend. Is that, is that something that you sort of is now a backup you know, weapon in your armoury? Yeah, obviously we... Um, had two loose wards go down pretty early on with uh, injuries. So, you know, I played a little bit there for Canterbury and finished a few games for the Crusaders there. So, you know, it's not a bad thing to have up my sleeve. But, you know, if all goes well, we won't have any injuries and I can just concentrate on the one position. Sam Whitelock. Jerome Kainor was one all black with a lot of expectation on his shoulders after being left out of the side that lost to the Wallabies in the Tri-Nations decider in Brisbane, with many feeling Kainor's absence was a major factor behind the All Blacks' defeat. After years of being one of many loose forwards struggling to nail down a starting spot, the Blues flanker has now made the number six jumper his own and is one of the All Blacks' most influential players. Richard Wayne caught up with Kainor one week out from the World Cup and the flanker says losing the Tri-Nations will only add extra motivation to the All Blacks camp. Having these disappointments in the last couple of Tri-Nations games, I think it'll make us work harder moving into the World Cup. So if anything, the losses could mean something good for us. You know, the guys will be on their toes to, to improve our game. Losing these last couple of test matches will definitely um, make us a better team and I think we'll improve a lot more than if we, we'd won those games. Tonga. First game of the World Cup, Tonga, uh, you know, they have their A team, which isn't always the case with the Pacific Island Nations, which is unfortunate. What sort of challenges will they present for the All Blacks? Uh, they'll, they'll definitely bring a physical game, and uh, I think, you know, the Tongans and the Islanders teams, they'll, they'll be watching these Tri Nations games and learn from, you know, the Australians and the South Africans when they beat us. And also, I thought the Tongans really had a good showing in the last World Cup, so their razzle dazzle play and their physicality will, 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 will be huge for us to be able to stop. So. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be trying to watch tapes of the Pacific Nations Cup games and uh, seeing what we can learn from them. Do you think it's something that the international game needs to look at to get the Pacific Island Nations to have their best players all the time, like football does, has yeah. windows, and just clubs are not allowed to keep their players back? No, that's it. I think um, you know, the, the Island Nations do hurt a lot when their, their, their key marquee players aren't playing. And you know, with the Tier 1 teams like the All Blacks and the Wallabies, they're always fielding their top teams whenever they want. And, um, it's not a luxury that the island teams get. It's not right, eh? The IOB and I believe the Celtic Nations, well, the Celtic Nations in the IOB, yeah. don't want that competition, you know? They're, they're worried about getting beaten, and so they should be. No, exactly. I think it comes down to a money thing. I think the players that are playing for Samoa and Tonga are earning a lot more for their clubs than what they are with their, with their countries, and, you know, the countries are paying for it. Yeah, is it possible to get up to sort of top form during pool play in a tournament like the World Cup? Because you know you won't be playing the Australians and South Africans in pool play. 
you know, can you can you get those learnings happening through the full play heading into the you know deciding matches? Yeah, exactly. I think we um, with combinations, I, I think it'll be tough for, for players to play week in week out for the World Cup. So I think um, there will be some playing around with combinations, but. Um, I think yeah we will learn a lot from from how we can improve our game in those school games, but I think there are a couple of games in there like the Tongans, Tongans and the and the French games where we will have to you know knuckle down and actually field our team. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll probably be seeing the A team maybe in the first game. You think? Yeah, most definitely. I think um, with the showing that we had against Australia, I think it's important that we get our team out there to get some confidence and 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 just to get the the ball rolling into the World Cup. I guess Australia haven't done Tonga any favours. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Jerome Kainor. This is Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. New Zealand's Valerie Adams has become just the fifth woman in history to win the Shot Put World Championship for a third time after blowing her rivals off the park with a World Championship record equaling throw at the tournament in Slovenia. The Olympic and Commonwealth Games champion has now firmed as an even heavier favourite to win gold at next year's London Games and is on her way to becoming one of the greatest New Zealand athletes of all time. She spoke to Finlay MacDonald about winning another World Championship crown. Oh, it's a fantastic feeling. Um, it's happy that I've uh, reached my goal, and that was to um, win the world uh, win the world champs, my third world title, but also to throw a PB over 21 metres was just absolutely fantastic. Because you had a slightly difficult lead up to that last throw, didn't you? Yeah, I got off to uh, to a bit of a slow start at the, at the start of the competition, but um, you know, competition's not over until it's over. And when I came in sort of on the fourth round, when I threw my 20.72, after I'd taken the lead in the third round, it's, it, was, um, it was a pretty good confidence booster. But um, I, I hadn't quite hit it, but throughout the competition, I knew I had 21 metres in me, but it was just a matter of finding it. And uh, what a, well, I mean, the best round of Dortmund was the last one, but also to, um, to have known before I've, I went to, to, to throw um, that I'd already won um, was even more exciting. Does that is that helpful in the way that you you've got less to lose? I guess you already know you're winning. Uh, yeah, but um, because I had that feeling in me that that I had 21 meters in me, um, I just needed to be patient and um, you know get my techniques um, sorted and uh, together. You know, everything combined on that last throw, I was able to hold it together to um, smash the crap out of it. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's one of those things that you just got to... I mean, competition's not over until it's over. Yeah. But to win the world title by over a metre, it's, uh, it's pretty much a great feeling. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the widest margin, winning margin in the history of the event, as far as I know. Well, do you know when the moment the, the shot put leaves your hand, the shot leaves your hand, that this is a good one? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you, you feel the pressure of the shot um, on on your hand if if you push it um, as, as long and as far as possible that you know that that, that it's um, going to go. And when I released it last time, I knew it was going to go because I just felt um, you know a great pressure within my body that and then when I came through and exploded, it just it just flew. But um, what a beauty moment it was for me to, to feel that because I'd been working so hard on Pierre tech, on, on my technique that this is the first time I've been into a championship that I have been uh, um, more confident technically. So it's uh, it's been an amazing um, journey and it's been an amazing eight months um, spent in Switzerland with uh, Jean-Pierre. So no regrets. And that's what I wanted to have at the beginning of the year, no regrets leading out to world champs. Now this is Jean-Pierre Eger now. It was his instruction to throw as long as possible until you reach the stars, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was. Um, she, um, oh, sorry, he gave me an envelope um, before I left Switzerland. He said, oh, I opened this envelope before um, in the morning of the final, and that's what I did. And um, on, on the last sentence, sentence he'd written, uh, throw as long as possible until you reach the stars. And on my last throw, that's exactly what I did. Um, but this is how how, how much this, of, of knowledge this guy has. He's just... Um, a, a great coach, very patient, very experienced with what he's um, done in, in, in his own career through as a coach with being um, a coach of Werner Gwantz, a three-time world champion himself. So uh, that's what he instructed me to do. Um, was it difficult was not, that, I, that I held up. Was it difficult not having him there? Uh, no, because he had trained me and um, we, we'd had, uh, you know, really, really good throw sessions before I left and... Um, uh, he he was confident in me as well, as much as I was confident in him, and he knew that you know um, we'd we'd done everything we could together to put me in the best shape possible um, going into these world champs. But um, I made a stage now where I where I don't need a coach all the time. But it was just amazing to um, to, to do to, to have done what I've done um, under his guidance um, in less than a year, basically. At the end of that second round, I think you were sitting in sixth place. What do you think about when you're in that situation? Because you know, a lot of people, a lot of times, you hear about sports people getting their heads down, and it becomes a bit of a mind game. How do you how do you deal with it? Competition is not over until it's over, um, and, and that's what um, you, you got to be focused on. And I was focused on myself and my competition. I, you know, every, every, everybody else was out there to to win. Um, Osterchuk was certainly out there to win and to beat me, and, and so was Jill. Um, but the competition's not over until it's over. But you just got to be able to mentally hold your composure and, and, and mentally prepare yourself to be able to come out and um, continue to perform well throughout the rounds. The competition's not over until the sixth round. So in the third round, it was a, a, for, for me, it was a sort of a safety throw because I didn't sort of um, see which place I was to make the top eight for the cut. But it, it was a um, sort of a, a throw to get me through to the top eight. But uh, competition's not over until it's over, and the spoke for itself. <laughs> That's like your motto, isn't it? What's that? Competition's, competition's not over until it's, it's over. I think we should get you the T-shirt. Well, that's the truth. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, the competition is over now, of course, because it's over. It's how did over you cel- now. How did you celebrate? Um, well, I met with a few Kiwis um, at the at the athletes village. We had a you know couple of beers, but um, basically just uh, trying to get some rest. I think you're still in the emotion of. Um, so sort of, it, it was an, an emotional win for me. Um, eight, the last eighteen months have been, you know, ups and downs and, and lots of things, lots lots of things going on. But um, I, I, I managed to pull through and win the world title um, and throw over twenty one meters. So it was just an emotional time for me last night. I I tried to go to bed as early as possible, but it was pretty hard to go to sleep until four o'clock. I mean, at four o'clock this morning, I think I managed to go. To, I managed to drift off to sleep, but. Um, Yes, it's still on a high, but at the same time, you know, a, a little bit anticlimax because you know you've built yourself um, up up to this moment, and then it's it's done now. You've you've done your job, um, but I'm looking forward to tonight's medal ceremony. And are you looking forward to spending a little more time at home? I mean, you've been away in Switzerland for so long; it must have been a hell of a year, to be honest. Yeah. it's... it's it's, it's it's been a hell of a year. It's been crazy, but um, I am looking forward to going back home to spend some time with with my family. I know my two sisters, my nieces and nephew, and my brother-in-law are waiting patiently for me to go home. 
but um, they all support me in, in what I do. And um, you know, but I, but I have a, a great support network at home. You know, I got my manager at Cowan and the Sports Academy, and every, everyone's just been absolutely fantastic. And I cannot thank Mike McGugan and, and Lou who were here last night, um, my physio, my coach based in New Zealand, um, who, who were here to celebrate with me. And you know, you just got to have the support crew around you to to do what you got to do. You got to work hard to be at the top. And I wanted to go into this year's um, championship with no regrets, and that's why I made the choices that I did. And I guess the next big thing on the horizon is the Olympics. Yep. How are you feeling? Confident, I'd say. Um. Oh, you know the the Olympic Games is um you know it's, it's massive. It comes through every four years. Um, but my goal is to go out there and defend my title, and, and I'm going to work my butt off and, and as, as, as much as I can, as hard as I can, to be able to do that. But um, at the same time, right now, I just want to enjoy the moments, enjoy um, the, the world champs, and, um, and enjoy my title and uh, tonight's medal ceremony because, um, you know, Olympics is as fast um, come, coming up real, real quick, and that is the next big goal. But I just want to sort of. Live this one for a little bit longer, at least for the next 24 hours. One more question, Valerie. You're, you're only 26, I believe. Um, I, I reckon you've probably got a few more yards in you. Do you think you've peaked yet, or are we going to see an even longer throw? Um, well, I, well, I think it's one of those things you just got to wait and see. Um, I've you know, worked really hard, and I, and I threw a PB last night, and, 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 and I feel that I can throw further, but um, how far, I just don't know. you just got to wait and see on that one. Um, but I'm going to work my butt off to, you know, to win the Olympics, and, and whatever it takes to win the Olympics, I'm going to be working as hard as I can towards it. Valerie Adams. The New Zealand women's football coach John Herdman is stepping down after five years in charge to take up the head coaching role of Canada's national women's team. Under Herdman, the football ferns achieved their best results since the 1980s, qualifying for the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2007 and 2011. The 2008 Beijing Olympics won two Oceania championships, were runners-up in the 2010 Cyprus Cup and are currently just two games away from completing qualification for the 2012 London Olympics. Herdman starts in Canada next week and while conceding a full-time coaching role building a team for the 2015 World Cup to be held in Canada was simply too good to turn down he says it was a tough decision to make. Yeah it is um, you know I've had a wonderful time in New Zealand and uh, you know I'd like to thank all those people that have helped us on on the journey uh, to this point but <clears throat> I think just professionally and Personally, it's it's one of those opportunities that come up once in a lifetime, and you seriously got to look at it. And you know, when you you think you can lead a team uh, in their own country to a to a World Cup that will be hosted there, you know, that's the sort of dream come true stuff for football coaches. So the difference was that it's a full time position, also. Yeah, it is. It's a full time position. Um, I won't have to be balancing other roles and responsibilities and it just allows you to focus on the thing that you're, you're really, really passionate about. Is that one of the difficulties perhaps with New Zealand is that it's perhaps not big enough yet? Yeah, I think I think that is one of the challenges for coaches in New Zealand. Uh, I think they, they have to try and balance often other part-time jobs. Sometimes <clears throat> those positions aren't even in football. Um, but I think it, over time and, and with the way things are moving here in New Zealand, uh, it's only a matter of time before I think coaches become more professional and are given those uh, full-time opportunities. 
And what New Zealand, uh, particularly women's football, has been able to do in recent years, I know players get noticed, but obviously that was the same with you. Your, your exposure, obviously, and what you've managed to achieve is, you know, you've been spotted, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just been an accumulation of, you know, I guess, the popularity of the New Zealand team on the world stage. I mean, when I took over in 2007, you know, the results sheet wasn't the best. We were getting beat 5-0, 6-0 consistently off the world's best teams. And, you know, the players, to be fair to them, they've worked hard over recent years. So, you know, I'm I'm really, you know, riding off the back of their achievements uh, out there on the football pitch. And I think we've got some something like six professionals now playing overseas. Uh, from what I'm hearing, there'll be a couple of more heading out in January. So, yeah, the women's game's really healthy and, and it's exciting times. So whoever comes in has got a you know a great group of players and, and a good future to work from. Now, I know uh, the way Australia now qualifies through Asia for various football events, sometimes it's seen that New Zealand sort of uh, gets to these uh, because they have an easy, easy route to get there. I mean, yeah. but... Do you accept that? But but also, on the other hand, I mean, the mere fact that they're there is just doing wonders for these players in the game? Yeah, it has. I mean, what these players get now is the opportunity to showcase their talents every two at youth events and every four years at senior events. And part of our long-term planning with this team was to ensure that by 2011, our players were ready to show what they had so they could go on and get noticed and, and, and pick up these pro contracts. And I think that's that's been the beauty for New Zealand. I mean, people say it's an easy ticket. The challenge you have is because you don't have the tough qualifying, you've still got to do all the work uh, outside of a qualifying event to uh, prepare the team. So sometimes it can be a bit of a challenge for New Zealand teams. They don't get the same regular competitive um competition as, as the Europeans do in terms of their qualifying or the Aussies do through Asia but uh, yeah it certainly has its advantages in these girls and, and, and I guess myself have, have been able to take advantage of that uh, of course, you know the all whites perhaps get a lot of the uh, you know the media attention but how is the women's game do you think fearing in New Zealand? Yeah, I think it's on it's on the cusp of, of really breaking through. We uh, we've got some wonderful events uh, taking off next week. We've got Girls and Women's Week around the country, uh, which is a strategy focused on alerting people to the opportunities in the women's game as coaches and players. Uh, you know, I think the grassroots is just waiting to be uh, to be harnessed. Uh, at present, I think we we have about 22% of the participation based out of female. Uh, we're hoping in a country that's almost a 50-50 population base that we can push those numbers right up. So some new strategies we're aiming to to bring girls football to the summer. And, uh, you know, one of our key goals is to, to make uh, girls and women's football the number one summer sport for, for players in New Zealand. What about coaching, though? Yeah, I think coaching. We've got some wonderful coaches coming through. I think uh, one of our big challenges is to ensure that women are leading women. And uh, I think in the next few years, hopefully some of these football firms that have had some great experiences will come on and take the coaching roles. And I think in the men's game, you've only got to look across at Ricky at uh, what he's managed to achieve. I mean, an undefeated coach at a World Cup. Uh, I think the, uh, the coaching stock here in New Zealand is sometimes undervalued, I think, by our own people. Um, but, you know, on the world scene, I think people really do understand that uh, we, we as coaches punch above our weight.
John Herdman. And that's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website, while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.